And welcome back to Blackie Four Books, where you have Rachel as your host for the new moderator season of My Friends Read a Book, and I didn't. so i will be your moderator today as i am knees deep arm spaghetti in some insurance i have some exams coming up the only thing that i have absorbed this week is insurance and i'm not gonna waste anyone's time with listening to you about that listening to me talk about that i can't even think anymore i don't sleep anymore I don't eat anymore. Just kidding. Yes, I do. But yes, Blanket Fort Books. What did we read this week? What did you read this week? Gabe and I read Verity by Colleen Hooper. Hooper. Still didn't rename my vacuum that, but want to. I mean, you're just stealing from a different vacuum. I know, but Buy a Hoover vacuum. I don't want to buy a Hoover. I want to name my Bissell Hoover. I get you one for Christmas. Okay. All right. Mm lit um i'm whitney (laughs) oh yeah i'm rachel the moderator i'm gabe board seat on twitter (laughs) so um i'll kind of skip my normal what are you into this week because as i said i'm knees weak arm spaghetti in insurance and that's all i think about and unless you'd like to know how auto insurance is legally regulated within our nation then Whitney, what were you into this week? Nothing as exciting as what you're into. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I have been listening to a podcast that I've been listening to forever, so it's literally nothing new. Um, but Books Unbound podcast, which is hosted by Ariel Bissett and Raylene Lee May. Um, and if you are in the book community at all, you obviously know who Ariel Bissett is. Um, and it's just really, really good. Raylene doesn't really like make videos or anything anymore but she was the very first person i ever discovered on booktube so i love hearing her talk about books and that's all they do is just talk about books so i can't imagine a um better podcast it's really fun i've gotten some great recommendations from it and yeah that's kind of all i have to say about canadians or us Canadians? they are canadians Cool. Ariel just moved to Halifax, so very close to us. Love yeah. it. Yeah, and Rayleigh lives in BC, so they Off are the in our home and native land. <laughs> Represent. Yeah. Um, so what are you into, Gabe? So I got a new video game that just came out. And it is a psychological horror game called The Medium. And it is so indescribably good i think because it is psychological thriller i'm so scared i think well the thing is it's not that spooky but the thing is i'm not even that far into it because this is the first game that i've played or seen with my own eyeballs that's actually from like the new ps5 and xbox series x generation um and those graphics somehow like this is running on my laptop and I'm surprised it runs so smoothly. It's just so visually amazing to look at. Like I had to play the intro like five times because I just wanted to see it again because I couldn't concentrate because I was looking at the visuals. Um, and it's kind of like a throwback 
to like older um like adventure games with like environmental puzzles and like a little inventory with items you have to combine to like unlock shit um and then you also have like because it's called the medium you have access to like the spirit realm and there's like a weird gimmick where the where um, it kind of goes split screen and you get to see the same like cinematic but from two perspectives one you're seeing what's taking place in the real world and then on the other side you're seeing like the main character interacting with like a ghost in the spirit realm in the exact same place so it's you know what that reminds me of what that one game i think we all played separately but with you at the same time Oh, oh, I think I know what you're going to say. Okay, the one that has Elliot Page in it. Yeah, that was uh, Beyond Two Souls. Um, Yes, thank you. Yeah, um, like, yeah, it's kind of, it's similar. Um, This one, it it definitely actually, it kind of, like, the way that you play, like, you walk around, it's like a third-person perspective, very similar to, like, Beyond Two Souls and, like, those other, uh, like, cinematic-style uh, games. This one, I don't... I think it's supposed to be, like, a mostly linear story. I don't think there's really, like, multiple branching paths or anything, but the the thing that's throwing me... Like, I, I had to watch the intro so many times, not only because I wanted to look at it, because it was pretty... But I also could not understand what was going on. <laughs> and I still don't. And I'm like an hour into the game. And I think I need to like start over again. Because the way it like it doesn't. It explains everything. But none of the words click. It's so weird to describe. I, I This was made by a team that I don't think English is their native language. Because they're from like. Where was this game studio from? They are from Poland. It's ve- it seems very like kind of translated sometimes, and the dialogue. It's like you get a lot of monologues at info dumps, and I'm just like, what's happening? Um, but atmospheric music, wonderful voice acting, amazing. Highly recommend. It's available for PC and Xbox Series X. What yeah. are you playing it on? My PC. Yeah. I'm going to have to probably give you an update on this one because I'm not far enough to have a fully formed opinion because it was just hard for me to interpret what was happening. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait for an update on that. Yeah. I find video games are, they require so much more attention than I think people always give them credit for. Like, well, some, I don't think Call of Duty does, but (laughs) (laughs) no offense to those people still play that oh yes yeah unfortunately (laughs) okay so aside from that i think that there's a lot of like at least the the video games that gabe plays like it's like reading like the biggest novel ever oh true Mm -hmm. plus watching the longest movie ever yeah that's my fave you have to make it work i just like so so much attention to deedles yeah, Whitney's starting is embarking on Dragon Age Inquisition, which is a hundred hour plus experience. Um, hopefully, she finishes it. I will. I, I'm praying. I will. I'm invested because it's an epic, and you're gonna love it. I loved um, Dragon Age too, so mm-hmm. I'm. And you speak more highly of Inquisition than that one, so I'm excited. Yeah. 
it's gonna be good. Yeah. So, you guys write a book. We did. Yes. I was it long. Uh, not really. No, it is three hundred and twenty-four pages. Was it concise? Yes. Mm, yeah. I don't know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> I think I know what you mean, and the way I interpreted that question, I would say yes. Yeah, okay. I think so. Right. Um, so I'll start by reading the synopsis on Goodreads. Um, I just skimmed it, and it kind of gives a lot away, but no spoilers. Um, so Lo and Ashley, spelt A-S-H-L-E-I-G-H, so you know she is a white woman. Yeah. Um, yeah, if your name is spelled that way, you should probably just do yourself a favor and change it. Yeah, that made me cringe. Um, is a struggling writer on the brink of financial ruin when she accepts the job offer of a lifetime. Jeremy Crawford, husband of best-selling author Verity Crawford, has hired Lowen to complete the remaining books in a successful series his injured wife is unable to finish. Lowen arrives at the Crawford home, ready to sort through years of Verity's notes and outlines, hoping to find enough material to get her started. What Lowen doesn't expect to uncover in the chaotic office is an unfinished autobiography Verity never intended for anyone to read. Page after page of bone-chilling admissions, including Verity's recollection of what happened to the day her daughter what happened the day her daughter died. Uh, Lowen decides to keep the manuscript hidden from Jeremy, knowing its contents would devastate the already grieving father. But as Lowen's feelings for Jeremy begin to intensify, she recognizes all the ways she could benefit if he were to read his wife's words. After all, no matter how devoted Jeremy is to his injured wife, a truth this horrifying would make it impossible for him to continue to love her. So that is the synopsis. That was a lot. It is a lot. Did you this get that, Rachel? <laughs> I would have loved to have read this book, but where I didn't, lay it on me. I think you should still read it. I mean, yeah. Just for, it's a good for fun read. Okay. Yeah, I so mean, we like, probably are going to go into spoilers at the end, but I think you should still okay. check it out. Who is the main Kelly? Who is it narrated by Ashley? Narrated by Lowen, yeah. Lowen. The main character. Wait, who Lowen is Ashley? Ashley? That's her oh, last that's name. Oh no, I ripped my earring. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it is narrated by Lowen. So, Gabe, why don't you go ahead and tell us your thoughts, your experience reading it. Okay. Um, so one thing uh, I should say is the reason we selected this book is because I had a group of coworkers uh, that were kind of doing their own reading club like a long time ago, like a year ago, basically. Um, so and long ago. they were talking about this book. Like they were like basically yelling across the desks and they were just like, they were going in full spoilers with this book. And they, I was like, what the, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, oh, we're talking about this really good book we read called Verity. Oh my goodness. It's so crazy. All this stuff happens. And they were, and I was just listening and I'm like, that sounds nuts. And I think I want to read it. Um, And they were like, oh my gosh, you should read it. It's so good. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. And then a year later we were looking for books to read for this podcast. And I was like, you know what book I've been curious about? Is this one. And overall, after finishing it, am I glad I read it? Yes. Absolutely I am. Um, was it good? That is debatable. Rickets. <laughs> that is debatable. However, I'm glad I read it. Uh, I was 
very engaged. Um, like when I started, I couldn't stop. Like I wanted to know what was happening, but there was a certain ricketiness to the narrative and a lot of fantastically, the writing quality was good in such a way that I was like reading a screenplay that was successful, but I never felt like I was reading like, anything better than a middle of the road soapy sort of netflix original deep dive material like it it basically felt like a limited series that would do poorly (laughs) on television yeah um yeah like uh yeah like kind of a sharp objects uh or big little (laughs) lies type type thing but like not that good um yeah and the 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 language was just very dry and um to the point and not very vibrant but just as like a sequence of events it was engaging i'm going to edit that yeah i'm just going to piggyback off that real quick before you move on yeah. but um oh my god i just sounded like i was in a business meeting but um <laughs> i have read several of Colleen Hoover's books she used several. to be yeah i thought you just read like very- one I read two. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so she used to be very, very popular in the book community with her romance. She's never, this is her first thriller. Oh, really? Um, yeah. I didn't know that. So, so she is primarily a new adult, which is like early twenties, um, romance writer. So it's basically like young adult romance, but with sex scenes. <laughs> um, and so I read Ugly Love and I read Maybe Someday, like back in like 2014 or whatever. And I did not like either of them. Mainly, well, the romances were toxic and gross, but mainly because of the writing style. Um, it's very much the same. I This came out in 2018 and I don't think her writing style has improved too much since her earlier works, unfortunately. Um, this was also like independently published and written. It wasn't like contracted like her other works are um but her writing style is very very basic and i mean it it does well in romance but i think when it comes to a thriller and something of this intensity it's not as impactful as it could have been um I felt like like this is marketed as a romantic thriller and i felt like it just scratched the surface of romance and thriller like it didn't satisfy me for either of those genres tragically i do think like i am glad i read it and it was super quick i pretty much read it entirely in a day um so it does hook you but i just i think if you are new to the thriller genre um i would steer you in a different direction if that makes sense (laughs) yeah because you know what like i'll be honest i was engaged for the journey but the destination yeah I'm I'm not going to spoil it, but well, we will go into spoilers in a little a little later in the episode, but yeah, like there's really not much to say about that. But anyway, like it doesn't turn out fully, but um it's steamy, a little uh, almost a little too steamy um to the yeah, point of so, tedium. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I fully agree. So I read a lot of romance i love me some romance novels this definitely isn't the the flavor that i like um and the sex scenes i thought were 
uncomfortable at best. Well, I think they were supposed to be, and they accomplished. But even the ones, <laughs> like, between, like, the actual romance, like, Lowen and Jeremy, even those near the end, I was like, can we, can we not? Um, so, oh, wait, maybe I'll save that for the spoilery part, but, um, like, it just felt like it was kind of, like, like, oh, this is a romantic thriller, so I need to put, like, a ton of smut in here or it's not going to sell in my new adult category. Or, like, my my previous readers who've read all my other work aren't going to enjoy this if there's not enough sex. So it was, like, yeah. like we get it. And it wasn't good. It was very much, like, they were both perfect and amazing at sex, and it was, like, the best thing in the entire world. It wasn't realistic. They were both, like, literally from heaven. <laughs> Like, it was weird. It was weird. Yeah. So, Rachel, to give you a better idea of exactly what this book was about, do you remember the Shelley and Leo subplot from Twin Peaks? How when he was um, shot and then he was paralyzed? And then Shelley and um, what's his name? What's his name? I'm on the Twin Peaks cast. What's what's his name? Bobby. Right. Yes. And they and they have like an affair in before yeah. his eyes while he's paralyzed, yeah. but they're also scared that he might wake up yeah. and become mobile again. Well, that's basically this. Um, Love it. Shelley is um, Jeremy in this case because he is married to Verity, who is bedridden, and um, I guess the Bobby in this scenario is. Lowen, who's the author, who's coming to her house to look at all her documents and things. So they basically, she finds like the thing and realizes how much of a shitty person uh, Verity is, but she can't speak for herself because she's like paralyzed. So um, basically she falls in love with Jeremy and she's like, I- I'm horny for him, but I don't want to be, but I- I- I'm glad I am. And she's like in yeah. denial for most of it. <laughs> and then basically spoiler, but predictable AF. So it's hardly a spoiler. Okay. Let's, let's go into spoilers now. Let's just say yeah. from this point on spoilers. Yes. Wait, before we do that. Wait, Rachel, if you have any yeah. questions, go ahead. <laughs> How similar is this to a dangerous age? <laughs> um writing style and kind of plot style. I know the stories aren't the same, but um very different. Very, very, very different. I don't think I think a dangerous age had better writing. I loved a dangerous age. I would read that every day. I love that that is like your standard for romance novels. Like that's what you refer to. That's because I like I don't want to admit that I love well it's not even that I don't want to admit like I really enjoy romance, but I have a hard time of being like I want something intellectually stimulating. Mm-hmm. Or I want something that's, like, intriguing because it's, like, a memoir or something. So yeah. I just, like, totally indulge myself in, like, juicy romance. I don't do it. And you should. You should. I love it. Like, I, A Dangerous Age wasn't even that good. And I <laughs> loved it. I loved it. I couldn't put it down. It was so juicy. It was stupid. I loved it. It was predictable. Yeah. I loved it. I think that... If you love that, then I think you would love this. Yeah. So we're talking about A Dangerous Age by Kelly Kaloran, Ben Simmons, which is basically like Sex in the City, the novel. (laughs) 
It's all good. They're, yeah. <laughs> it's about a bunch of girls who have like a dedicated girls' night, but they all have crazy lives going on. Lives going on. So like one is like a party animal who's like drunk or high all the time, and the other one's like, I'm just settling down. And, <laughs> and the other one's kind of like high class society girl, like just constant. Oh no, she's the drunk one. Aren't- I don't remember. It's been a while. Anyway, it's just anyway, a bunch of ladies. It's the city, yeah. It's great. Anyway, let's get into some yeah. spoilers. <laughs> How did this lovely romance pan out? Yeah, what were you going to say, Gabe? Um, well, basically, we should make it known that the reason this is, and I, I guess this is kind of a spoiler, too, and I'm glad we didn't really bring it up until just now. Um, so the reason Verity is a shitty person is because she basically is only obsessed with Jeremy because she is like a nymphomaniac and loves to fuck and is very selfish. And she is so, known yeah. she is known for writing books. Like she's a famous, successful author for writing books from an antagonist's point of view. So you have to wonder, like, she's so good at that. Maybe she's an antagonist herself. So um she finds the manuscript and it basically details it's an autobiography quote unquote, but it's written like its own separate thriller novel. So this whole book, it's kind of a book within a book situation. It's kind of like nocturnal animals, even where it's like going between that story or not the, or sorry, um, Verity's autobiography and also Lowen's experience of living in this house temporarily, of course, visiting this house mm-hmm. with Verity, um, and then her husband dealing with, like, the fact that she can't help herself and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and so the reason she's shitty is because she's been basically manipulating Jeremy this whole time into thinking that she's, like, she cares about him and their kids. But really, she didn't want kids ever. And basically, this whole time, she's been thinking about ways to get rid of her kids. Like, have them killed. Yeah, so things like that. Yeah, so they had twin daughters. Um, and they also currently have a little boy, which I don't think we mentioned. Um, but so in this autobiography, she's talking about her their twins, and the night that her and Jeremy got engaged was also the night that her twins were conceived. So she's like very mad and she's like, Oh my god, they took away the special day from me, and like Jeremy loves them so much. And he's, like, so excited to be a dad. And, like, even when they're born, he's like, oh, my God, he's giving them so much attention. He loves them more than me. And she's, like, very mad about that. Um, there was even, like, some some disturbing ways she tried to get rid of them before she gave birth to them. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that, oh, they were hard to read. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, those were um, very uncomfortable. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, I'm just cringing thinking about it. But... Well, what were they? You can't just say that. Do you? Are you sure you want to uh, know? Um, I guess a, it's not co- that bad, but it'll give you an exact hanger. idea. Okay, that's a, a, a coat hanger in her own bathroom. Mm-hmm. Oh, but there were. I'm also thinking about the ways after they were born. <laughs> oh, I was talking about just when they're pregnant. When she's pregnant, like oh, I was thinking tries- of the, after they're born, the things she did. Those oh, I scenes. know. I hadn't even gotten to that point oh, yet. Oh, God. I was working up to that. Oh, God. So, yeah. So, not only did she try to get them out herself and failed, she yeah, and won't then give up when they're born. One of the twins. 
Yeah, one of the twins had a scar on her cheek when she was born. And Jeremy's all worried about it. And then the doctor's like, oh, it can happen. But she's like, I knew it was from my coat hanger. And I was like, hmm. I don't know. Is that would that? Do you think that would actually happen? I I don't know if I believed that. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, you, that can. If you yeah. created the placenta enough, would you think that it would just break it? Yeah, like wouldn't that well, mess I'm, things up even worse if you got that far? Well, I'm pretty sure if an attempted abortion can go wrong, that the child can come out with some issues. Okay. I don't know. I'm not as I'm not a scientist. I'd rather I guess I'd rather not think about that for far too long. <laughs> but that was what the book said, so that's what I'm going with. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, after they're born, she has a dream that one of the twins, Harper, who is autistic by the way, and I don't know if I loved the way that that was portrayed. Um I loved the way it was portrayed because it was only mentioned the only downside, quote unquote, to to it was mentioned once and then it was never brought up again even by her own mother and i'm like oh man this could have been an ableist tirade from wait it was mentioned a bunch of times well it was but it was never like the reason for i think it kind of was though because it was mentioned a bunch and then it was like her mom was like well harper doesn't have any emotion like it's hard for me to love her because she doesn't have any emotions well i don't think she she didn't blame it on that she just thought that's how she was and i mean the way that she she, uh, supposedly viewed other people like it it didn't seem like she was giving harper any other any worse of a i guess the opposite of a benefit of the doubt i don't know what you call that (laughs) i guess yeah it just so she had a dream that harper killed i don't even know how to pronounce the other name is it just chastin yeah that's a weird name. Anyway, <laughs> she had a dream that Harper tried to kill Chastin. So ever since that moment, she was like, oh, Chast- like she she fell in love with Chastin and finally felt love towards her, but was like hated Harper and like went to her room and tried to kill her in, I guess, I guess to get into the rest of the book, we have to say. So she tried to. Um, make her baby throw up and she was going to say she choked on her own vomit in her sleep. And this is like an infant. Like it was so disturbing. So disturbing. And she would constantly be talking about it didn't work. It didn't work. But she would be constantly be talking about Chastin and how proud she was and how much she loved her. And like Jeremy would notice and be like, you never talk about Harper. And it was like a thing because like for years she held a grudge against her infant baby because she had a dream that she tried to kill her other daughter. Yeah. Like it was fucked. And then so Chastin tragically dies. She's at a sleepover and she's deathly allergic to peanuts and goes into anaphylactic shock and dies in her sleep. Um, And that is the reason they're giving. But Verity does not believe it and is like Harper killed her. Clearly. Like I had a premonition. (laughs) It was Harper. It was a so clever she, murder, she said. Yeah, yeah. She's like, I knew it. Like, Harper knew that Chastin was allergic to peanuts. Like, she did this. Um, and so she's, like, holding this grudge against her because she thinks that she killed her other daughter. Yeah. They also, they have a son at this point, too, who she, like, also doesn't really care about. Why do they keep having kids? Because Jeremy wants them. I don't... And he's, like... 
The best dad. That's, I mean, Verity appreciated how he treated her while she was pregnant because his love for the child inside of her would also sort of translate over to her. So she felt like she was getting the attention she wanted at that time. Yeah. And she was very much about sex. So like if they weren't having sex or if she couldn't like turn Jeremy on, then like Jeremy didn't love her. Like it was, there was, she was, unhappy because he was unhappy so like after chaston died they weren't having sex and she was like oh my god get over it and was like mad at his grief yeah she was she was like embarrassed for him when he cried in the hospital yeah she was like oh my god she was like if i had been in that position i would have been embarrassed (laughs) you're so fucked and then so one day her and their son crew and um, their daughter, Harper, were out on a canoe while Jeremy, like, went out to get groceries. And she purposely, like, didn't put life vests on them and took them out into the middle of the water and then leaned forward and whispered to Crew to hold his breath. And then she tipped the canoe and then grabbed Crew and they, dro- they swam back to the surface got this little boy to go inside and call Jeremy. And then she put on a show of going back into the water and screaming Harper's name and trying to find her. Um, even though she like left it long enough that she knew Harper would have drowned by then. So she, she killed Harper, but like put on a show and made it seem like she didn't because she said, and I quote, if you lose one child, you might as well have lost them all. She was like, your grief can't get any worse. This is just going to get rid of the other one, too. Jeremy can't be any more upset than he already is. Let's just have crew. Our life would be perfect with just crew. So then, obviously, crew tells Jeremy that she said that. So he's, like, super suspicious. And he's like, why did you tell him to to hold his breath before that happened? And she was like, I did it, like, while it was happening. Like, I thought Harper would be okay. <laughs> etc etc and yeah then we're oh, so on the other hand um so messed up back in back yeah. in of uh, present time these these are the chapters of this autobiography manuscript that she is uh, Lowen is reading while supposedly doing research but at the same time she's fallen in love with Jeremy cuz he's such a good dad and he cares so much about his his wife who is who is in her who is bedridden and then um basically they get steamy and she's just like oh my god like the thing the thing is though like all the red flags from that manuscript the amount of chances Lowen is just like oh my gosh well of course the next chapter like she's going to reveal it was all a big sham and she's like oh it couldn't have been that bad and she's like getting really she's getting discomfort but I feel like after the first chapter of that manuscript I would have been like I'm getting the fuck out of here she's crazy um yeah but, yeah. but any and I'm I, I'm also surprised she didn't read the whole manuscript in one sitting just to get to the bottom of it because it wasn't mm-hmm. like it was that long or I, I guess the book didn't fully give us the whole manuscript because supposedly there were way more chapters she would go through and we would only get to see part of it the so what happens is like she, while while she's like getting steamy with uh him she uh, Lowen keeps having 
sightings of Verity out of her bed, staring at her and like changing positions, like she's secretly actually awake to. Yeah. You know, she's essentially. Yeah, she's essentially in a coma, so she can like open her eyes and make small movements and stuff. But she's like, she can't walk or anything like that. Like she's she's confined to her bed. I don't think. But when Lowen's finally effing Jeremy, she sees Verity standing at the top of the stairs at her with her fists clenched. And then she screams, Jeremy, get off Verity. And then Verity's gone. And then he's like, what? And then he goes to check on her and she's still in her bed. So Lowen's like, am I losing my mind? Am I exhausted in seeing things? So, so then, uh, Things continue and Lowen is like going up to Verity being like, you're a effing C word. I'm going to F your husband in your bed to see if she can get a reaction to see if she's faking her bedriddenness. But she doesn't react. So she keeps reading the manuscript and they she keeps plowing Jeremy in the same house, hiding it from the Sun crew who is just kicking around. And But the thing is, is he says that mommy tells him things mm-hmm. by accident. So it's a little suspicious. Is he just making that up or is she secretly talking to him when no one's around? There, there's like a nurse coming to the home every day. And obviously it. It seems like Jeremy's being honest and he does he's not like in on this hoax or anything. He's taking care of her and changing her when she pees her pants. So, what's the deal? Do mm-hmm. we re- And this is where the book takes a a, a turn. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. So, now we're getting to the ending. And this is the juiciest part. So, um, okay, so Lowen finds a baby monitor in the basement and sets it up in Verity's room to literally just, like, stare at her as she sleeps to see if she moves. Love it. Um, and she sees that she moves one time, but, like, obviously Jeremy wasn't there. It's kind of like X-Files, where every time something supernatural happens, Scully's back is turned, so she's constantly yeah. like, aliens don't exist. Um, so she gets, like, frustrated one time, and she, like, runs up to Verity's room, and she's just, like, screaming at her, and Jeremy's like, what the hell are you doing? And that's the point where everything, like, comes crashing down, and she shows Jeremy the manuscript, and he's basically just like, where did you find this? And then he, like, goes and, like, locks himself in a room, and he reads it, And then he comes out and Lowen sees on the baby monitor that um, he's like choking Verity. He's like screaming at her and he's like, if you don't answer me right now, like I'm going to call the police. And then she like finally like sits up and answers him. And he's like so mad that he's like trying to kill her. So she faked it. She was faking it. She faked it. And I was really hoping she wasn't faking it, though. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Me too, because Jeremy just seemed like too perfect. And and the so. and when she, re- I felt like it was a ridiculous time for her to tr- reveal herself as not or as faking it. Like, why didn't she do that sooner when she saw that her husband was cheating? Anyway, I know. Like literally, what? Ammo. And I don't understand how you fake that for the hospital. You know, like he said that he saw like the brain scans and stuff. And I'm like, do they not do more like more? Like, how are you faking it for so long? Did, yeah. Anyway. Did it ever explain that? 
why no. Hugh didn't react to things like because of um Lowen tried to startle her multiple times with like loud sounds and by throwing a ball at her head or whatever yeah. and she didn't <laughs> flinch or react so I'm like, when you called her the C word and said you were going to plow her husband, why wasn't she pissed enough to break out of it then if being threatened to be under arrest is going to wake her out of her coma? <laughs> I don't know. If I, yeah. if I threw a beach ball at my head and I was faking a coma, I'd be like, I'm up now. What maybe, the heck? Maybe, she, let's, maybe we can just assume that Verity was secretly taking some weird ass drugs that would basically put her in this state constantly. Yeah, I mean, she was on a lot of medications, and if they were, like, unnecessary, maybe they had, like, opposite effects on her or something. Sounds kind of fun. Um, yeah, I'm down. I'll fake a coma. Well, Give me some of what she's coma. having. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, yeah, so Lowen runs upstairs, and he's like, you can't kill her. Like, you're going to go to jail. Think of crew. And he's like, like, help me. Like, she killed my daughter. Like, what do I do? Help me figure this out. And then Lowen's just, like, standing there, and then she's like, well... I mean, she had the right idea in her manuscript. You have to, like, make it look like she died in her sleep. Like, make her choke on her own vomit. And then that's... As revenge. Yeah, that's what he did. He made her throw up and, like, closed her her mouth and nose until she choked and died. Um, And then they made it... And she didn't get a chance to explain herself either. No, not at all. Nobody would let her. So then that happens... We jump seven. Oh, I forgot a detail I wanted to talk about. But we jump seven months into the future. Um, and something that happened that had me very, very shook is so in seven months in the future, we find out now that um, Lowen is pregnant with Jeremy's child. And <laughs> of course, <laughs> they, yeah, well, they had sex before everything happened with Verity and she like she wasn't on the pill and they didn't have condoms and he was like okay I'll just pull out but she like wouldn't let him when they were like doing the deed and then after he left it says like at the end of a chapter she put her legs up on a pillow so what he put inside of her wouldn't fall out and I was like, like she really wanted a baby with she, this man yeah, no discussion though. She was just like, "It's happening, whether you want it to or not." She and then just like, and it happened. <laughs> so yeah, we jump ahead seven months in the future. They move out of the house. She's like seven months pregnant. Um, they live somewhere else, but the house—they're trying to sell the house, and they've gotten two offers on it, so they have to go back and clean it out. So that's what they're doing. Her and Jeremy and crew are just vibing, cleaning out this house, shredding stuff. And then crew's like, oh, my God, wait, I forgot something and ran up to Verity's room and comes back with a bunch of like pictures and stuff that he had drawn. And he was like, I forgot that mommy used to keep these in the floor. And then Lowen's like, what the fuck? So she goes upstairs and she finds like the floorboard that crew didn't put back in place properly. And she opens it up and she finds a letter. And this is how the book ends. Well, kind of. But in this letter, she says that, and this is the, the twist that kind of got me, that she and Jeremy had gone out to um, lunch or dinner with their publisher, with her publisher, 
or agent or something. Anyway, some book person. And she had just published her first book from the antagonist's perspective. And she was worried that she was going to have a hard time continuing this in the future. So Jeremy wasn't listening. He was just playing on his phone. And um, the publisher was like, well, here's a good writing exercise to get you into the, the mindset. I want you to write diary entries about your own life, things that actually happened, but pretend you're the villain. And so make everything happen seem like you are the bad guy and you did awful things and you're thinking awful things. So, for example, in this situation right now, you're not bothered by Jeremy being on your phone. But in this writing exercise, you would be like, oh, my piece of shit husband is always on his phone and never listening to me, etc. Except it's worded nicer than that. Um, so that's what she did and that apparently is what this manuscript is is a writing exercise writing about her life and her traumas but as though she's the villain and that's how she coped um and jeremy had apparently found the manuscript right after harper's death and read about her trying to kill harper so he didn't let her explain that either was like, oh my God, you killed our daughter. So he put her in the passenger seat of his car, no seatbelt, hands and feet tied, drove straight into a tree, hit it on the passenger side, then moved her to the driver's seat when she was unconscious and had like swelling on the brain and stuff and then walked home, assumed she would die, but she didn't. She was put into like a medically induced coma. And then when she came out of it, she faked like still being like there like still having brain damage and that's that's where we are now and that was what was in the letter that Lowen found so she was like what the fuck is this true is it not true and Verity had apparently written it when Lowen was in the house because she was planning on just taking crew and like disappearing in the night to get away from Jeremy because she didn't know how to and that was the letter. So we're kind of left being like, well, what is true and what is not? And Lowen's like freaking out. But she's also like, well, I don't know if I believe this because I think Verity is just fucking crazy. Whoa. And so it's, it's open ended. And that's what we get. I need conclusions. No, we didn't get a conclusion. I mean- we got... Who's in the right? <laughs> it's kind of exactly what I thought was going to happen, sadly. Yeah, I, like... So I was, like, super disappointed when I thought, like, the twist was just, like, when Verity wakes up and is like, yeah, I faked it. <laughs> yeah, I was, um, and hoping, then there's the, I was hoping yeah. it was going to be revealed that, like, Jeremy was the one that, like put her in this state deliberately and he was going to be an evil villain. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. we were going towards, like, he was the one who killed the kids. Well, yeah, because he seemed way too perfect. So, this ending, when I first read it, I was, like, kind of shook, and then I was like, well, I mean, could have been a better twist. And but. I had one idea that I think would have made this book a 10 out of 10. And you mm-hmm. want to know what that would be? And I, I feel like you what? might agree. Just imagine what? this. So you know how this book was like, ha- like part, well, not half, but like a good part of it was reading the manuscript that Verity left. 
of her mm-hmm. autobiography. And then it would also tell you what was happening in real life. Um, they're also like, because the whole purpose was Lowen going there to write a new book in the series. What if it also included the book she was writing and how it was inspired by these real world events that she was going through? Yeah, I would have liked that too. That's been done before, but I feel like this book needed that dimension because all it wanted to focus on was the juice and the plowing. But I feel like the actual creative part that could have come out of the story could have been that element and it would have made the book like a really good length too if you added just a little bit of like these chapters that Lowen was writing maybe like a couple of times just to pad it out a little bit but I feel like that would have been an interesting way to portray um, Lowen's perspective on a lot of these events because while the book was told in her perspective and we got her narration I still didn't get a lot from Lowen to know anything about her besides that she was uh, a horny straight woman that was yeah that was insecure about her writing that's really all we know and yeah, all we get and from well, her we know about the shit with her mother too because her mother oh, yeah. yeah was like super sick and she took care of her in her own apartment and her mom was like like I know you're not doing well financially but like when I die you can have everything in my bank account I promise there's a lot there and then she died and her mom had no money so and her mom was also kind of shit but that never really turned into anything like it kind of felt unnecessary um I think it's just a shame that Colleen Hoover wasn't um as experienced writing thrillers because she wrote I think it was in her author's note Um, She wrote that a good thriller has a predictable plot because that's how you know that you planted the right seeds, like a predictable plot twist, because that's how you know you planted the right seeds throughout the rest of the story. And I was like, I don't think that there was there was no subtlety in this book. It really smashed you over the head with every little thing you needed to know. Like I like, yeah, like I guess, but also like not not like that like you want to plant seeds you don't want to throw the reader into an already bloomed garden you know what i mean (laughs) yeah because basically it would be like in the narration in lowen's narration it would be like what if verity is doing this what if things are actually going this way and these predictions the character lowen would have would literally be like what is gonna happen Like, basically, the book would articulate the twists for you as possibilities before they actually occurred. So none of them were surprises. Hmm. That's pretty much how not subtle the book was. Yeah. Uh, What would you rate it out of five? I almost said out of three. (laughs) Um, I'm glad I read it, but a Mm 2.5. Yeah, I agree fully. Like... Me I think too. I'm just kidding. <laughs> if if she releases another thriller, will I read it? Like I would be interested. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think I would definitely read another thriller from her. I don't think I like ever want to read any more if a straight romance. Up romance. <laughs> if it was anything like this book and it was just a straight up romance, oh I don't know if I'd like that. The way, the thing is, too, she marketed this as being, like, completely different from any book she's ever written. And I guess it is because there's a thriller aspect, but it's, like, the exact same outline. Every single one of her female protagonists has, like, um, 
they have like an artsy like specific thing that they're into they're either writers or she's done poets um musicians and then they meet this guy who's like perfect and like takes them out of their shitty life and then things aren't so perfect something's revealed and then a happy ending like it's the exact same thing through all of her books um so well i think i can applaud her effort to do something very different i don't think it was different enough so did i basically just read one of those romance books i roasted a few episodes ago no, those are better. Really? <laughs> yeah. I want to read one of those with what you. So what? What? What, what did we? Who? What is the target audience of uh, Verity by Colleen Hoover? I know you said it was a new adult category, but that's more specifically fans of what are gonna read this? Twilight. I, I don't know. That's kind of. I don't know no. if I can see the comparison. Oh. No cheesy i well no it's different i think that someone i feel like i'd recommend this book to my mom (laughs) i so i think the target demographic is someone who has read all of the cheesy kind of young adult romance and like old school like 2014 new adult and young adult romance and is curious about thrillers i think that's who it's targeted towards i don't think it's targeted towards someone like myself who has read a lot of romance and a lot of thrillers and knows like precisely what i like in both of those genres definitely not not targeted toward me but someone who's like curious about thrillers and is like into romance maybe i think i'd still point them in a different direction though (laughs) yeah and like it wasn't like it wasn't sexy enough like the description mm-hmm. like it all of the sex scenes they weren't sexy they were uncomfortable so like as much as saturated as this book was in like being ex- like being graphic while also not being graphic it was just like i was it was like reading i don't know an automated log of sex it was just like this happened and i sucked his cock and i'm like oh Okay. Literally. It was so, it was like that. It was like, it's the best. I give the best blowjobs and he receives the best. Nothing a good fuck wouldn't fix. Everyone's perfect. It's like, oh, gross. It's like nothing my tits wouldn't fix in bed tonight. If 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 I had breastfed, would Jeremy appreciate my tits this much? Oh my God. Yeah, that was a big thing, too. She didn't want to get pregnant because she didn't want to ruin her body. She didn't want to breastfeed because she was like, he's never going to lick my tits again if I breastfeed. She had a C-section, but she was like, I can't. I Oh, my God. She called it Jeremy's Temple. She was like, I can't give birth because I can't ruin Jeremy's Temple between my legs. Well, just remember, remember, that. she was just doing this all as a writing exercise. <laughs> That was the twist, and I thought that was kind of dumb. Well, maybe. But we never know. I'm giving this a 2.5 because it was BB's first HBO limited series, if that's not too pretentious for me to say. No. It's like a, it's kind of like a Walmart Big Little Lies. A Lifetime movie? Yeah, although I think this would translate better on screen than it did on page. I would love to see... What are you doing? I feel like this <laughs> Rachel is... is dancing. <laughs> I just um, think that my it looks like I'm underwater. It's so distracting. I feel like Sorry. it's gotta be 
a, a Lifetime movie already. Like, this has happened. Yeah. I mean, it's a like, Twin Peaks subplot. It's That already existed I mean, in 1990. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like if we saw, like, the different timelines on screen, I just feel like they could they could even make this now and change some things and make it, like, great. And like, I have a question. HBO, come on. Because yeah. this seems like a trope where we have a story about, um, or at least a premise about somebody who is, like, bedridden slash in a coma slash paralyzed and unable to move them being painted out as possibly faking and being helpless and you know being a villain i guess is that trope ableist because that happens a lot and it's a person who's like unable to fend for themselves and it's being addressed in like a creepy are they faking are they secretly gonna lash out and kill me type of way and that that happens to like a lot and i'm just like it's not like that's usually not something you're born with but like if you're injured that can happen and is that narrative portrayal ableist because it kind of makes me wonder like i don't feel 100 percent comfy with it yeah i mean i can't particularly think of um anything else that does that trope but i do think there's some issues with that especially coming from an able-bodied writer because leo johnson who is in this predicament when he gets shot in twin peaks and i mean i'm pretty sure it ends up being it is like his fault that he got shot and he like deserved to be shot because i think it was like I don't even remember. I think somebody just shot him. And yeah, well, wasn't he snooping on somebody? Like, yeah. He and he something was doing something he wasn't supposed to. It was yeah. basically like he got shot and kind of brought it upon himself, but he was a shitty character that abused Shelly a lot. So we, as the audience, were not supposed to care. So when like Bobby and Shelly, when they're like having the affair right in front of his eyes as he's like in his chair and they're like throwing food at him and stuff, I'm like, I don't know. It was like that happened in 1990 and then this is happening now. And I feel like I've definitely seen that. Like if you just think about horror movies where like the person is like unable to move or speak and they're creepy because of that. And they're like the antagonist. And that's like the whole premise. That's got to be a thing. Like that's happened all the time. And I'm sure I could find a list. (laughs) Yeah. It didn't cross my mind. But now that you bring it up. Yeah. I think she did better than like Jojo Moyes did with me before you, though. I don't know what that is. Oh, that's a Jojo Moyes also writes romance. And it was a movie that came out with Sam Claflin and Amelia Clark um, where he was paralyzed from the neck down and she was like his caregiver and they ended up falling in love but he I mean I'm gonna give a spoiler because it's shitty don't indulge in any of it but um he ended up killing himself because he would rather be dead than live that way even though the whole story was supposed to be about him oh that's that's not great accepting himself yeah he was like oh I'm just gonna like, even though he found love and he was, like, accepting his life and everything, he still killed himself because he was like, I can't be a disabled person. Wow. So. Yeah, well, in this, <laughs> in this one, the disabled person was faking it or was, I guess, 
I don't know. She was pretending to be ableist, I guess, in her manuscript because she was evil. So I don't know. Or was she? I don't know. Mystery. I think we'll need some input from the the physically disabled community. Whitney, what is your, did you review? What did you rate? 2.5. Oh yeah, I said the same as you. I felt a 2.5. I felt like I gave the alchemist a 2.5, but was leaning more towards a 2 on that one. And this is like a 2.5 leaning a little bit more towards a 3, but still a solid 2.5. I'm the the other way. I'm leaning more towards a 2. This is like a 2.25 situation. Yeah. I wouldn't call it a 2.75, but I think, I don't know. It's so highly rated on Goodreads. I don't know if you noticed, but it has like a 4.33. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. I'm expecting a 3.8. high. I didn't look. No, it's so high. I was shocked. No, I'm I'm mad. I'm actually pissed. I don't trust Goodreads anymore. Yeah, 4.33, and it has almost 200,000 ratings. 200,000? That's almost as much as like the amount of uh, ratings the Dark Knight has on IMDb. Oh, my phone just died. But a lot of people that I follow and respect to have given it five stars. And it just just came out in 2018. So it's not like people were reading this in 2014 and then rating it high. It just came out like two years ago. Like that actually makes me mad. Um. (laughs) Yeah, I I think it's it has to be people who aren't into thrillers like because you're very into like psychological thrillers in film and stuff and tv and so am i and also in books so we're like well versed wait in the genre is this book considered a psychological thriller or no it's a romance thriller and that's all it is (laughs) yeah yeah because this could have been a psychological thriller but it didn't want to do that no well i think it tries a little bit because it tries to make Lowen like, yeah, but then it turns into like, a CW show. Yeah, but the whole time I think, I think she wants to market it as a psychological thriller, but I don't think it is. I don't know. That was a novelized Lifetime movie. Yeah. Two point five. Oh my Rachel, god! You gotta it reminds read it me, though, Rachel. You it reminds read it. me. Yeah. It reminds me so much of the Will Ferrell Lifetime movie I watched. It's like kind of the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Okay, well, I think we've gone on long enough about this book. I w- I could go on even longer because it's got a lot of nonsense. Um, yeah. If you're looking for a fun, quick read and you're bored, um, abs- it's this book is not expensive. Pick it up. Colleen Hoover's mm-hmm. got tons of books. I'm sure she's doing financially well, so I don't have to go overboard with the promotion. But oh, she's uh, thriving. Yeah. Um, I would not so, recommend her older books, though. Unless you love toxic heterosexuality, then go for it. This book is also good if you like toxic heterosexuality. Yeah, if that's your favorite genre, then just like you just have a field day. You support the hell out of this author. But. Yeah, because I, I mean, that's Whitney. I thought that was your favorite genre was toxic heterosexuality. Hey, you cannot slam the romance novels I read without having read them because that's not what they I are. I wasn't even thinking about that. I was thinking about like. Just your taste in television romances. I just like romance. A lot of the time they're heterosexual, even though I'm not. But, you know, And they're also always having some sort of problem they should go to therapy for. And you're just like, oh, we stan a independent queen that doesn't want to go to therapy. 
never said that. I think every person on this earth should go to therapy. <laughs> unless he it's has the told me that a number of times. Oh, okay. Well, I believe yeah, it. Yeah. How in, dare you? But unless it's the girl from Ratchet, the uh, whatever. No, her name I is. still think she should go to therapy. I think even if you're fully neurotypical, no mental illness, perfect family life, and you're just thriving, go to therapy. But I feel like her issues that she exhibited in that show was what made you so steamy and you express yes, that indirectly. because I need to go to therapy as well and I have issues but I still think it's hot but she should go to therapy anyway let's not let's not call me out yeah, right now but. so so we'll just say it to all the the hot characters on television the fictional characters just because you're hot does not mean you don't need therapy yeah Agree. Even though that is a, a a fictional message that doesn't apply to the real world. <laughs> Love this episode. Anyway, Rachel, did you pick a question this week? Well, I did, but like I'm trying to find the words, but I feel like I have to go back to high school and take English class again to get my words right. But instead, I'm just going to struggle my way through it. So if you had to choose a character type in a romance slash romance thriller... Who would you choose? Like, what type would you choose? Oh, like what? Um, like, I don't want to be like protagonist. Protagonist. Goodbye. <laughs> I bye. This has been blank at Fort Box. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Anyway, it doesn't have to be that specific. But, like, if you could, like, model yourself a character, not by any definitions of physical appearance or anything like that but just your your role in a story what would you choose my role personally yeah like what would you want Whitney not to be my love interest uh, well that can go uh, along with it but like are you going to be the person who's like a homewrecker are you going to oh, be the person oh. who's like who's the support system for the homewrecker are you going to oh, be the support okay. system for the like are you going to be the one who's been wronged like are you going to be like what do you want to have your story about Whitney written as in the protagonist, whatever I said the first time. Protagonist. <laughs> protagonist. Protagonist. Um, oh my gosh, that's a really good question. And now I understand how it feels when I put you guys on the spot. <laughs> I have an answer. Oh, you go ahead. I'm still thinking. It's too shallow, but I'm just going to shamelessly say because it would be very unlike reality. I would want to be the buff guy on the front cover that is <laughs> the perfect sex guy in the book. So are you just the one that's just there being perfect, waiting, like the story yeah, revolving around from, someone trying to get you? Yeah, because it's very much like not me being like the excellent hetero male example. So like, I'll be that character. I I accept that. Yeah. I... I really want to be like a elizabeth bennett joe march type where i'm like fuck a husband i love books <laughs> i don't want to get married even though in this era i have to get married otherwise i can't own property <laughs> <laughs> that's what i want to be and then i want someone to come along like a mr darcy <laughs> that i fucking hate but then we fall in love because we hate okay. each other. I love it. But make it gay because I'm not going to marry a man. 
That sounds like a good story. Like, basically, I want to be Pride and Prejudice, but gay. Can you just, or like, little r- women, but gay. write these romance books, but, like, make women. them have a nice twist like that? <laughs> Can you write a book called Little Gay Women? Okay, I'm done. <laughs> I mean, yes, and super excitingly, The Great Gatsby just became public domain, and I, like, require some Great Gatsby retellings with a homosexual Gatsby, because that is a missed opportunity. He if is I was, gay. If I was a slightly bigger fan of the great Gatsby I would be on top of writing that myself Mm -hmm. I just get so excited when classics become public domain because it's like we're gonna get so many retellings and they're gonna be so good so I'm just like holding out for that but I would love to write gay retellings of classics especially because like the women in like in like Pride and Prejudice like all of Jane Austen's heroines pretty much and Joe March like literally gay joe is trans and you can't tell me otherwise she literally says so many times that she wants to be a man and that she like refuses to wear women's clothes so wait which book is this little women oh i still haven't well when i was reading the book i was like if this were written later they would be trans anyway maybe i should get on that Maybe that's yeah, my sitting around like, call the thing. I want to retell a classic, uh, no. but like it'll be the same for the first half, and then the second half will be totally different and way more like worse off and depressing. Oh my gosh, love it! Incredible. Like I'll turn something into a tragedy, but the first tra- half of it will be the same as the source material. Oh, that sounds good. Just have everyone die. Yeah, my fave. The Sound of Music, Everyone Dies by the Nazis. Everyone. Why not? That's realistic. <laughs> I mean. That might have been offensive. I apologize. <laughs> but like. Yeah, I'm laughing a lot. Why is The Sound of Music so happy? I mean, yeah. Wait, is it nonfiction? Of a question, but like. Because <laughs> I feel like it's it's fiction, but I mean, maybe that's what happened. Well, I mean, it's based around World War II being an, a state of the world, but I mean, like, they're not a. Actually, were the were the was that a real family? I think it was. Wasn't it based on a real family? I, I think so. I no. don't think they sang that much. But as I'm gonna have... as a person that someone the Nazis would have killed very fast, I support everyone dying in the Sound of Music. Hold on, I'm checking. We just lost our one. Based on the 1949 years. memoir, The Story of I the mean. Trap Family Singers, r- written by Maria Augusta von Trapp, who is a real person. God damn it. And she lived a long, healthy life to the age of 82. Good for well, them. At least she won't see it and be upset that you made yeah. it die. I'm sorry. Well, like, that was insensitive. Would, well, no, I still support it. <laughs> I'm not Jewish, but I'm gay and Do you guys want to do an episode on this? We'll read the original book and then watch the movie. Yes. I feel like that's an idea. I'm into it. I haven't seen the movie in years. I can't see the page count of the memoir, but I don't think it's long. Anyway, yeah, this is this has gone on quite a while. Yes. So let's wrap it up. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening to Rachel's monitor. It was more like I wasn't monitor. Mo- mon- what? Moderating. I can't talk. <laughs>
Sorry, we didn't really let you get a word in. That's okay. I wanted to listen, but also I, I drank way too much espresso, and instead of being excited about everything, it made me sleepy. Oh, so you crashed. I crashed, but you told me a bedtime story, so... Yes. A terrifying bedtime story. <clears throat> Can't wait. Anyway, I'm Rachel, also MC Hot Waffle. You can reach me at Abrams Records. I've never tweeted. Ever. <laughs> So I don't know why I promote this. The day that you do, they'll want to be there. Exactly. And maybe you guys should just send me a tweet and I'll respond. You can be the first tweeting experience. Yay. MC Hot Waffle. I'm Whitney at Wit and Wisdoms on Twitter and also subscribe to my YouTube channel. I wouldn't wisdom. No S. And I'm Gabe and I'm on Twitter as Board Seed. And our official Twitter is at Blanket Fort Book, even though... I don't really tweet that much on there. I should. I'm gonna. Okay. The hills are lined with the sound <laughs> of music. Okay, B. Thank you, B. <laughs>